I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Chimpanzees in the wild have been observed catching insects, mashing them, and applying them to skin wounds. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. What are the chimps doing with those bugs? We talk with a researcher who's been observing their behavior. Should we consider this wound care a kind of home remedy? We live in the age of evidence-based medicine. Can chimps teach us about experience-based therapy? How do home remedies compare to FDA-approved medications? Today, we welcome your stories about your best home remedies. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, we consider interesting and unusual home remedies for chimps and humans. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines... About 6 million Americans have heart failure, in which the heart does not pump blood strongly enough to supply the entire body with the oxygen it needs. Symptoms may include shortness of breath, swelling in the feet and legs, fatigue or weakness, and and cough while lying down. In addition to prescribing medication, doctors have advised most of these people to throw away their salt shakers. The recommendation is to limit sodium intake to less than 1,500 milligrams a day. In theory, this cuts down on the amount of fluid in the body, so the heart doesn't have to work so hard. A new study examined whether this type of dietary sodium restriction reduces hospitalization, trips to the emergency department, or deaths. Between 2014 and 2020, researchers randomly assigned 800 patients to a low-sodium diet or usual care. Although people in the low-sodium intervention group actually did reduce the amount of sodium they consumed, they were no less likely to land in the ER, be hospitalized for cardiovascular problems, or die from any cause. They did report slightly better quality of life, however. The researchers did not report any serious adverse events in either group. An accompanying editorial points out, though, that severe sodium restriction could be harmful in combination with some commonly prescribed blood pressure medications. Consequently, doctors may need to rethink the idea that all heart failure patients should limit their salt intake drastically. Drugs for erectile dysfunction have become very popular. They include Cialis, Levitra, Stendra, and the original Viagra. Such drugs are referred to as phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, abbreviated PDE5Is. Researchers utilize data from a large health insurance database to determine the risk of serious vision problems. There were more than 200,000 men in the cohort. Each of the people diagnosed with serous retinal detachment, retinal vascular occlusion, or ischemic optic nerve damage were matched to four controls. The analysis revealed that regular users of these ED medications are at higher risk for such vision-threatening events. The authors conclude, results of this study suggest that individuals who regularly use PDE5Is should be cognizant of ocular adverse events associated with these drugs and alert their physicians if they experience any visual deficits. Wound care can be an extremely difficult problem. 
Chronic wounds, especially pressure ulcers and diabetes-related sores, may fail to heal due to inadequate blood supply to the tissues. They can cause a great deal of pain, as well as pose a risk for serious infections. Researchers at the University of Maine have found that wild blueberries contain polyphenols that may help wound healing. They treated rats with a blueberry extract and compared their wound closure to that of untreated rats. The lead author concludes that wild blueberries have the potential to enhance cell migration, new blood vessel formation, and vascularization, and to speed up wound closure. This is especially important in conditions that require enhanced wound closure in patients with chronic wounds, such as diabetic wounds, burns, and pressure ulcers. In the 1970s, the California Prune Advisory Board promoted its product as the funny fruit. These days, prunes are advertised as dried plums. Now, researchers at the Integrative and Biomedical Physiology Program and the Departments of Nutritional Sciences and Kinesiology at Penn State investigated how prunes might bolster bone health after menopause. Postmenopausal women with low bone mineral density scores were assigned to eat either no prunes, six prunes, or 12 prunes daily for a year. At the end of the study, the prune eaters had lower levels of inflammatory markers in their blood. The lead author concludes, Our findings suggest that consumption of 6 to 12 prunes per day may reduce pro-inflammatory mediators that may contribute to bone loss in postmenopausal women. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the Peebles Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. How do people discover home remedies? That's a question we've been pondering for a, a really long time. Well, for example, whoever thought to put soap under the bottom sheet in the bed to prevent leg cramps? Or what about swallowing a spoonful of yellow mustard for leg cramps? We would like to hear about your favorite home remedies and how you learned about them. We're live for the first time in over two years. So give us a call. The number is 888-472-3366. If the lines are full, you can email us. The address is radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And that number again is 888 472 3366. But first, we turn to a primatologist who's been studying chimpanzees in the wild. What can she teach us? What can they teach us about home remedies? Dr. Simone Pika is a cognitive biologist at the University of Osnabrück in Germany. She's the head of the research group of comparative biocognition at the Institute of Cognitive Science. She spent over a decade studying the diverse animal communication systems and is the co-director of the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Simone Pika. 
Hello, and it's very nice that you have invited me for this interview. Dr. Pika, we'd really like to get a sense of what your research group has been up to in the field of comparative biocognition. That's not a term we're familiar with. So if you could start by just telling us what is comparative biocognition, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. This is in a, in a way, that's my own creation. So I, I studied biology and I would call myself an ethologist or a primatologist. So I'm interested in the behavior of animals with a special focus on communication and cognition. And um, during my postdocs and previous jobs, I've worked at psychology departments and I did my PhD in a comparative psychology department. And then when I got the call from the University of Osnabrück to create my own department, then I was also able to create a name for it. And in a way, I wanted to bring this across these different perspectives and these different fields. And therefore, we created the name of comparative biocognition, meaning we are interested in comparing cognitive skills uh, from the biolo biological perspective across different species. And so some of your most important research is at the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Yeah, so the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project is located in the Luango National Park in Gabon. And the project has been initiated by Christoph Bursch from the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig. And then he handed over the project in 2015 to Tobias Deschner. And Tobias Deschner, he's my partner. So in a way, when we married, then in a way, I got this as a gift, the project. And so I joined the project in 2017 and we're doing this together and, um, yeah, we have a team always there in the camp. We have a cook, we have a driver, we have field assistants who help us find the chimpanzees. And uh, the first years, we first needed to habituate the chimpanzees. And then in 2017, the majority of adult males and majority of adult females were habituated to human presence, meaning then we could follow them on a daily basis and we could collect video footage and uh, scan data of their behavior. Now, Dr. Pika, could you please tell us about this extraordinary observation where you and your team have witnessed multiple instances of chimps catching and applying winged insects to themselves and others, other chimpanzees in this community in, in the, the Luango National Park in Gabon. How, how are they doing this? Yes. Yeah, so the first observation was made in 2019. And back then, we so we always have several volunteers in the field who are collecting general data. But at this time, we had Alessandra Mascaro there. She's also one of the lead and first authors of the paper. And she was collecting general data. But she was always intrigued with mother-infant behavior. And that day, she was following Susie. And uh, Susie is was one of our yeah, oldest uh, females in the group, and she has several children. So she has a little one, Sassandra, a chimpanzee infant. But that day, she was also walking around with her adolescent son, Sia. And Sia had gotten into a fight, and he had a big wound on his foot. 
And what uh, Alessandra observed and also filmed is that the mother first looked at the wound and maybe she groomed the wound a little bit, but then she looked up in the bush on top of her and then she caught something from underneath a tree. Then she put this insect between her lips. She's pressing it a little bit. Then she took it out of the lips. Then she grabbed the foot of her son and then she applied it onto the wound. And what's interesting is also that she... After that, she again took it out of the wound again, put it again between her lips, seems to press it again, and then reapplied it to the wound. So basically, she was smashing this bug, whatever kind of bug it was, and, and uh, putting the bug juice that she got from smashing it onto the wound. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we, of course, we thought about it. Why, why do they put it in the mouth? So one idea was first, okay, these are flying insects because they have to catch them. And maybe one idea is first they have to immobilize them that they are not flying away. But then I would also think they are really doing something with the lips to squeeze out some substance. And then they put still the insect and not just the substance, the whole insect probably with the liquid on top of the wound. Have you seen other chimpanzees besides Susie do this? <laughs> yes. So, of course, first we were like, okay, well, uh, we don't know what's going on here. Maybe this has been reported in other chimpanzee communities or maybe in other primate species because um, Tobias and I, our focus topic was not self-medication or medicative behavior. And so we just said, okay, if there is another wounded individual, then please follow that individual and really try to get good video footage. And so over a period of 15 months, we collected data on um, a total of 76 wounds by 22 different chimpanzees. And we have 19 cases where the chimpanzees are catching insects and they are applying the insects into their own wounds, but we have three events where either one chimpanzee is catching an insect for an, and then handing it over to the chimpanzee and the chimpanzee is applying it to the wound, or we have individuals catching the insect and then applying it to the wound of another conspecific. And back to Susie, um, of course, you can think, oh, maybe this behavior, this pro-social behavior where an individual is interested in helping another individual or wants to increase the welfare of another individual. Maybe this only happens between related individuals, but we have three cases where non-related individuals are treating the wound of a conspecific. Dr. Pika, I find this um, research just extraordinary, so fascinating. And I wonder if you could comment on the implications of your observations. Yeah, so at the moment, we we want to be very careful and very cautious because so far we haven't yet identified the insect species. So we have read a lot about insects. And what we learned is that also humans use a huge variety of insects and insects seem to have many amazing men medical properties. So they can have antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral um, substances, or maybe just a soothing function. At the moment, we don't really know what's going on. It's just we know it must be a flying insect and um, because they have to catch it. And so in the future, 
we want to get the remains of the insects. And we just got, when we published this paper, we got many questions. And one question was like, why don't you just catch the insect? And we were like, yeah, we would like to catch the insect, but it's not so easy. <laughs> you have to know which insect to catch. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. And also after the chimpanzee did the application, I mean, they are squeezing it, they put it back, they are squeezing it, then maybe they drop a leg or a wing or something on the on the forest floor. And then we have to wait until the chimpanzee is leaving. And then we can slowly go to the um, location. And then, of course, we have to flip every leaf and every little piece of soil to um, find a remain of the insect. But this is what we want to do in the future. And then um, when we have identified the species, then we can also find out more if there's something in the insect, which is already maybe helping to either just soothe the pain that the chimpanzee is directly feeling better, or maybe it has more a longer effect that, for instance, it's increasing wound healing. But it also could be, I just got a comment by somebody who said that maybe um, the connection between saliva, insect substance, and something from the wound could result in a chemical reaction and this would have an antibiotic effect or something. And um, so there's a lot we, we hope to find out in the future. You're listening to Dr. Simone Pika. She's a cognitive biologist at the University of Osnabrück in Germany, where she heads the research group of comparative biocognition at the Institute of Cognitive Science. She co-directs the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project. And we invite you to join the conversation for conversation. We're live, Terry. <laughs> you can share your remedies by calling 888 888- Four seven two three three six six. You can email us radio at peoplespharmacy.com. After the break, we'll hear about some other tactics that primates used for healing. Tell us about your experience with your favorite home remedies. Our lines are open again that number 888-472-3366. You can also email us radio at peoplespharmacy.com. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements. Cocovia delivers clinically proven levels of cocoflavanols to promote heart health for the long term with the same ingredients as the Cosmos study, a landmark five-year clinical trial with over 21,000 participants studying cocoflavanols and heart health. Cocovia Cardio Health is available in capsules or powder, providing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols daily. Celebrate Cosmos, C-O-S-M-O-S, with coupon code 2022 Cosmos 5 for $5 off all cardio health products. Visit cocovia.com to learn more. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. 
The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. Today we're talking about home remedies and we welcome your calls about your favorites. What's worked for you to overcome hiccups, heartburn, coughs? Our lines are open again at 888-472-3366. If our lines are full, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 888-472-3366. We've been talking about a remarkable discovery. Chimpanzees in Gabon capture insects to put on their wounds. Our guest is Dr. Simone Pica, co-director of the Azuga Chimpanzee Project. She's a cognitive biologist at the University of Osnabrück in Germany. Dr. Pica, assuming for a moment that there is something healing about these flying insects and maybe saliva, I'm just wondering if there are any other observations either you or others have made with regard to primates such as chimpanzees or bonobos or uh, other kinds of, of primates where they've actually utilized plants or some other substance for healing properties, perhaps against parasites. Yeah, so I read about a study in orangutans where they make, where they use special leaves and they make also, they mix it with their saliva and they make a foam out of it and then they put it on their extremities. And this also seems to act against parasites and maybe insect bites or something. But um, yeah, what I also know is, for instance, um, Again, primates using animal matter. Then there are some cases, for instance, from capuchin monkeys where they squeeze millipeds. And so they squeeze a substance out of a gland from this um, millipeds. And this mainly happens also in the rainy season when there are many mosquitoes. And normally what is in these millipeds is... Um, can cause cancer and it's toxic. So it's a very dangerous substance. And the study is showing that um, it's four capuchins who are sharing one milliped. So the substance from this one milliped is enough for four capuchin monkeys. And then they also, they put it on their bodies to protect themselves against mosquito bites and um, therefore against parasites. So, Dr. Pika, this suggests to me that these primates are figuring out experientially what's working for various things. Uh, we've heard about howler monkeys in Costa Rica swallowing bitter leaves uh, when they have especially high levels of parasites in order to flush them out of the system or kill them. So it, it's number one, th these animals are learning they're learning by experience and, and then they're transmitting that learning, that information on to other animals in their group or even to their children. That's just amazing. Yeah, I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think maybe in some animals, probably it's not learned. So um, I always think about the story 
um, of dog owners. And every dog owner has already observed that when the dog has a tummy upset, then the dogs are eating special special species leaves with very harsh surfaces. And then this helps also the dogs to vomit. And I wouldn't really think that this behavior is learned. This is probably um, something that dogs are attracted to some sorts of leaves. And um, also today, when we think about our diet, then nowadays, many specialists, they um, tell us we should eat more stuff which has bitter ingredients. So humans don't eat enough bitter stuff. And maybe if we if we nurture this more, then I probably I would also predict that if we listen much more to what we want to eat now, that suddenly we have this urge to eat something bitter because maybe there's something wrong with our atomic. So we are yeah, we're really looking forward for a special ingredients which we may or may have not learned where maybe we have evolved a special appetite for which helps us maybe against uh, certain disease or certain parasites. Dr. Pika, you get to go to the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project. You get to hang out with chimpanzees. (laughs) You get to watch them, get to know them. Most of us don't have that opportunity. Can you tell us, please, about some of the personalities of the chimps you've been studying, like Little Gray and Carol? Yeah, so um, I would always say that chimpanzees, they are, in a way, they are like humans, right? So when I did my, I remember when I did my diploma thesis, and then I was, most of the time, I was surrounded by great apes and not by humans anymore. And then in the night, I was dreaming about them as if they were, yeah, my closest peers and my closest friends. So in a way, my dreaming brain couldn't really distinguish anymore between these species. And that's a bit similar when you go to the forest, when you spend time, when you spend a lot of time with them, that... Um, you learn how they are. You learn that, for instance, Little Gray really likes to go through water. So the Luango National Park is characterized by this wonderful mosaic of different habitat types. So we are bordering the Atlantic Ocean, meaning we can follow the chimpanzees when they are walking along the beach. But we also we have mangrove swamps. We have uh, then also the primary and secondary rainforest. We have savannas, but there's a lot of swampy areas. And so then you have these individuals like Little Grey who loves to go through the water. But on the other hand, there's Freddy. And Freddy, he always tries to find his way across the water that he doesn't get in contact uh, with water. And then, of course, you have the different mothers uh, like uh, Carol, for instance, and they all have their own way of treating their children. And some are more cuddly, and some are more uh, careful, and some are more these um, parents who, yeah, they are always aware where their children are, and they are a bit scary. So it's very similar to many of the human personalities, <laughs> which I also meet in my everyday life. Dr. Pika, if you were to summarize uh, the research that you have done and what you would like to do in the future, what is the message for the rest of us, for our listeners? Where Where is the future and why 
are you doing this work and, and why is it so important? I think one of the most important things is that we know a lot about this one species, chimpanzees, for decades now. Jane Goodall, she started to study chimpanzees in the 1960s in Gombe and Tanzania. And after that, um, several other people, they, they started their field sites and we learned so much about chimpanzee behavior. But then it seems with every new field site, with every new study community, we learn more about chimpanzee behavior. And it also seems we're only at the beginning to really understand one of our closest living relatives. And I think what we just saw here, and Tobias and I, we have studied chimpanzees now for over 20 and 15 years, and we know a lot about their behavior, but still we always, there's always something new. There's always something to wonder. And this is also why this is a wonderful example that we have to protect the species, because if not, maybe in 2050, there are no chimpanzees and no great apes on this planet anymore. We have to do something against the climate crisis. And we can do this now because we are a very smart species. We can do this. We can protect our planet. And it also means um, we not only need to protect a single species, but just looking into this insect behavior, we need to protect um, the whole biological niche here, the whole biological habitat to move forward. One final question, Dr. Pika. For literally thousands of years, humans have developed home remedies and learned how to use certain plants for healing properties. <laughs> We've emerged into what we now call evidence-based medicine, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. That's wonderful. But it seems to me that your research takes us back a couple thousand years to just observing and, and, and using nature for its healing properties, whether it's a, a chimpanzee or whether it's a human. Uh, your thoughts about just watching and learning from chimpanzees when it comes to this sort of healing process? Yeah, I think this is um, another very important aspect why it's so important also to protect them because there's still so much to learn. And now if you look into our Western cultures, if we feel sick, we just walk uh, to the doctor, we walk to the pharmacy, we don't even know really anymore what we're taking. And um, I, I also think a lot of the medical knowledge has been lost and maybe we can recover it again by looking more carefully at other animal species and learning from them. And this is what we would like to do in the future. So we want to move forward into self-medication, but then we also want to find out whether this insect treatment behavior is used in other chimpanzee communities or maybe also in other species um, where individuals encounter quite often wounds. Because at the moment, of course, we thought about how could this have happened? And if you ever had a wound in a rainforest, then of course there's liquid in the wound. And one of the first species coming to the wounds are actually flying insects. They sit, they sit on the wound and they want to drink something from it. So they are attracted to it. And at the moment I can imagine that this is maybe how um, it originated, that maybe the chimpanzee wanted to just uh, sway the fly away, but then somehow he um, 
he squeezed it and it it fell into the wound and maybe there was direct uh, soothing feeling or the pain left um, decreased a little bit and maybe this was in the start for this kind of behavior which then spread through the community. Dr. Simone Pika, thank you so much for sharing this with us on the People's Pharmacy today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me across the ocean to your show. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Dr. Simone Pika. She's a cognitive biologist at the University of Osnabrück in Germany, where she's the head of the research group Comparative Biocognition at the Institute of Cognitive Science. Dr. Pika has spent over a decade studying a diversity of animal communication systems and underlying cognitive mechanisms in captive and natural settings, with a special focus on primates and corvids. She's the co-director of the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project. You can find it at www.ozouga.org. And we invite you to join the conversation. We are live here at the People's Pharmacy. We'd love to have you share your favorite home remedies. Our lines are open. The number 888-472-3366. Our lines are full. Give us an email message. That is radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Again, the phone number, 888-472-3366. Email radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And we go to Michael in Morgantown, West Virginia. Michael, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. What is your home remedy? Hi, Jim and Tammy. I'm really happy you guys are back on the area of bias again. It's great. Um, You had mentioned hiccups, and uh, I'm almost 50 years old, and ever since I was a kid, uh, people have always told me that if you have wooden matches and you light one and dip it in water and drink the water, it cures hiccups. Oh, well, that is actually something we have not heard before. I would have to say, Michael, we have heard a lot of hiccup remedies over the last 40, 50 years, and this is a new one. Uh, And I thought we'd heard them all. But there you go. Thank you so much, Michael. We'll have to try that the next time we have hiccups. Now, Terry, what are some of the other hiccup remedies? Well, one of the the oldest and actually best, best, I think, is to swallow a spoonful of granulated sugar. Right. And we think it's the the granulation. It stimulates the phrenic nerve in the mouth, which then affects the diaphragm through the vagus nerve, and that interrupts that reflex. And there are several others along the same line. Some people swallow a spoonful of peanut butter. We've been told that's dangerous because other people have choked on peanut butter, so don't do that. Uh, Other people have reported that swallowing a little spoonful of chocolate chips Mm, works really well against hiccups. Go to the savory side, and people say, eat an olive or swallow a little bit of pickle juice. And those things also seem to help. Do we have another call? We do. Let's go to Tampa, Florida and talk to Joe. Joe, what's your remedy? Hey, uh, uh, um, Terry and Joe, um, I, uh, I'm Joel, and I've been teaching and advocating wellness and holistic health for 33 years. And um, 
I want to mention that uh, this has been my ritual pharmacy class every week, your show, and your questions <laughs> to guests have been absolutely uh, uh, inspiring. Oh, you're That's so kind. That's very kind, Joe. Thank you. I'm Joel, J-O-E-L. Okay, so what's what's the remedy? I do have two remedies. I have, I have two remedies. One is sustained pressure. <clears throat> Anytime the skin is injured, uh, be it uh, falls, scrapes, cuts, uh, burns, um, I use sustained pressure. There's magic in your hands. And just holding the hurt for... Uh, 30 seconds or a minute, uh, re, uh, that pressure uh, immediately after the hurt uh, uh, keeps the histamines, the broken cells, and uh, uh, prevents the body from sending, uh, sending uh, fluids to the area. And, uh, and of um, course... Which cause edema. Yeah, and and Joel, of course, it's also really good to put pressure on a bleeding wound. That's the that's the very first first aid you want to do for something that's bleeding. So thanks very much for that remedy. Right. Now, speaking of bleeding, Terry, um, there's an email here um, from somebody who said that they have used black pepper. And I think we've mentioned that on the radio a couple of times. and um, Or maybe even a lot of times. Yeah. You know, we, we worry about infection, but if you used a little alcohol and then a little black pepper, it might just do the trick. Absolutely. We've got an email, Joe, from Mike in Coleridge, North Carolina, and he says he learned from uh, the indigenous peoples in his area they use the husk of black walnut uh black walnuts and he has tried this he soaked the husk in uh, an alcohol and then he applies the alcohol to an tone uh, to a fungus infected toenail and after 3 or 4 weeks the toenail fungus was cleared up and it has not returned this was 2 years ago wow so good job for you, Mike, and thanks for sharing that. And we've not heard that one before either. We have not. We have heard about using black walnut for uh, fungus, but not for toenail fungus. Now, I've got an email from Marilyn. Shall soap we go under to the, the phones? Soap under the bottom sheet for leg cramps. She says, my husband doesn't believe it works, but I know it works for me. Okay. The soap stopped my occasional calf muscle cramps. I only need it during the warm months when I'm working out in the yard. Good. Katerina in Roanoke, Virginia. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Your home remedy, Hi. please. Uh, yes, I had a, um, an older woman from Galicia, Spain, as the nanny to my three sons over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And whenever the boys would have um, upset stomach, diarrhea, maybe due to teeth coming in or what have you, she would boil rice in water, obviously. And then she would strain the rice out and fill the baby bottles with the rice water. And so I asked her, what does that do? She says it relieves the pain, it uh, slows the diarrhea. Um, But she had no idea of the scientific reason behind it. 
other than my mother did it, her mother did it, and I was just told that's what you do. Uh huh. And we don't know for a, of a scientific reason for that either, but it does conform to um, a recommendation that doctors used to make for babies with uh, with loose stools. They would put them on a, uh, what was it, brat diet, bananas and rice? I don't remember what the A and the T were. But yeah, that sounds like a, a, a traditional remedy. And thank you very much for that, Katarina. Where to next, Terry? Well, I think we might go to James in Ravenwood, West Virginia. James, tell us about your remedy, please. Okay, my remedy is uh, uh, ingrown nails. You, uh, let's say that you have an ingrown nail and it's uh, ingrown on the left side of the nail. You take a pin, like a, like a live sewing pin, and you scratch the nail from the middle of the nail to the right uh, about 15 times. And, and that will force the nail to correct its growth pattern. Hmm. Uh, That's very interesting, and we've not heard that before either. James, thank you so much. Here's an email. I tried, and this is from Carla, I tried sauerkraut juice for canker sores after reading about it on the People's Pharmacy, but the taste, oh, terrible. And I like sauerkraut, she says. What worked like magic for me was another remedy from the People's Pharmacy, kiwi fruit. When a canker source comes on, I peel a kiwi, cut it into slices. I hold a slice against the sore with my tongue for a few moments, then chew, swallow, and repeat with the remaining slices. The canker sore heals very quickly. I'm so grateful to have read about kiwi for canker sores. And we have heard from a lot of people who use kiwi for canker sores. Joe, we do have an email from Elizabeth who says she uses Adolph's meat tenderizer. She moistens it with a little bit of saliva and puts it on a mosquito bite, which immediately takes the itch out of the bite. Huh. We've heard about Adolph's and meat tenderizer for bee stings, but not for mosquitoes. Well, we are talking about your favorite home remedies today on The People's Pharmacy. We are live and we welcome your calls. What works for you to get rid of dandruff or or calm poison ivy? Our lines are open for you to tell us all about it at 888-472-3366. Our email is radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health. Online at cocovia.com. Today we are talking about home remedies. What did you think about our interview with the chimp expert? How do home remedies get passed down from one generation to the next? Did your grandmother have a favorite? We'd love to hear from you. 
You can call us 888-472-3366 or send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And Joe, Danny has called us from Greensboro, North Carolina. Danny, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. What's on your mind? Hello. Good morning. My name is Danny. So I was kind of curious in in listening to this show. So I am Mexican-American. And growing up, my mother would sometimes employ the use of a curandera or a healer to come in and help with any kind of, not any, but but some of the more serious things that were going on with some of the kiddos, my brothers. Uh, Two examples would be one, my older brother was having issues in some of his teenage years sleeping, right? And so he would get up in the middle of the night and sometimes he would scream a little bit and, and have the issues sleeping. So my mom would call the curandera and she would come in with like a broom and do like a little chant and, and sweep him. Mm-hmm. And then after something like that, he would be fine. He would sleep fine and he got through the night. Another example would be, um, so when when you have like, uh, you're pretty ill or you have pink eye or you felt that you're like, you know, not feeling well, the curandera would come and crack an egg and put it under your bed and sort of kind of ward off sort of that sickness. And I was wondering if you had heard any kind of sort of that cultural, you know, it, you know, cultural healing or, or cultural, you know, um, ethnic sort of healing in, in some, you know, home issues or home problems or being sick or, you know, uh, in, in, in anything like that. Well, Danny, absolutely. Both of those uh, rituals that you just described are uh, things that uh, we witnessed or I witnessed while I was doing my doctoral research in Oaxaca, Mexico. So they are they are familiar, I think, probably throughout Mexico and maybe in many parts of of Latin America. Um, And they go beyond the remedios caseros, the home remedies we're talking about today. And they really address a problem that hasn't responded to home remedies. And that seems to have some type of spiritual uh, component that requires something something beyond. But I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys very much. It was it was always interesting to see that sort of stuff happen, and actually having it work was just a little bit mind-boggling to yeah, me. Exactly. Well, Joe, where to next? Well, you know, that, this, this reminds me of the medical student who was doing his Servicio Social mm-hmm. in the mountains of Oaxaca. And we should explain that at least in the 1970s in Mexico, um, people entered medical school at the age that our students enter university. So they would, and then they would do their four years of medical school, and then they would go off and they'd have another two years of social service that they would need to do practicing. (laughs) <laughs> practicing usually on indigenous communities or poor communities that didn't have other medical services available to them. And we went to this community and this um, very fancy uh, couple from Mexico City, the medical student and his wife, apparently got into trouble with the local curandera. Well, he thought that his medicine was better than her uh quote, rich witchcraft, and he made the mistake of starting a fight with her. 
he and it didn't go well for him, I must say. So it's not a good idea to. Uh, it's not a good idea to go up against a curandera. 888-472-3366 is the number to call if you'd like to join the conversation. Where do we go next? Well, let's hear from Julia in Cleo, South Carolina. She's got some more information about that brat diet we were talking about for diarrhea. Julia. Hi, I'm Julia. Hi, I'm Julia. And I'm a retired nurse practitioner. And for many, many, many years, I would give young mothers a handout with B-R-A-T in large letters and then in smaller letters, banana, rice, applesauce, and toast. And then many years later, I found another young doctor who said, well, you also should add tea, as in oolong or black tea, and yogurt. To provide a uh, the, the probiotics from the yogurt to get going, yes, to get the okay. uh, get settled down. Well, Julia, thanks so much for um, jogging my memory because I hadn't remembered the apple saucer toast and uh, the tea and the yogurt sound like a good idea as well. Joe, we have an email from Marguerite, and she says. My grandmother, Mami Margarita, used to make a version of onion syrup. It worked great. I was almost never sick with my Mami around to dose me with her home remedies as needed. Except, of course, the castor oil was my mother's favorite weapon. The honey onion syrup that Mami Margarita made not only worked well, but it tasted good. She used to also add a drop or two of aguardiente. If the honey onion syrup didn't fix you, the alcohol for sure would. You had to get better in self-defense or more would follow. (laughs) (laughs) And Terry, I've got an email from R.S. He says, when I was a kid in Boy Scouts, the adults made sure you had packed your sulfur sock on each warm weather camp out. A sulfur sock is a white cotton sock with powdered sulfur inside the sock, having the top of the sock tied in a knot. You would apply this either around your shoes, boots, socks, or if you were wearing shorts, you would apply it from waist down. Well, after years, I forgot about the sulfur sock and went blackberry picking with my wife, daughter, and son-in-law. All of us sprayed off DEET and had a great time picking blackberries. The next morning, I was covered from a waist down with chigger bites. Funny thing. No one else in the group got any. I had to go to my doctor to get a shot to stop the itching and get some relief. Nope, I don't go blackberry picking anymore. If I do, I'll take a sulfur sock. And that's not the first time we've heard that powdered sulfur works against chiggers. Absolutely. That does seem to be a, a, a home remedy that a lot of people have used. Shall we go to Connie in Front Royal, Virginia. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Connie. Tell us about Thank your great you. grandma. It's to be here. What's... Uh, she was um, the first white woman in the county in way northern Michigan where she lived. And I know this from the obituary that was written up a full page in the paper down in lower Michigan when she died. Um, 
and she was known as the doctor for everybody, uh-huh. Indians as well as as well as white people. Uh, she delivered everybody's babies, for instance. It was uh, uh, lumber territory, and so lumbermen would injure themselves, and they would all come to her, and she would reattach fingers. The obituary <gasps> said, "Oh my goodness!" And um, and she she never lost a patient. If it was summer, she would dress the wounds with plantain leaves. And if it was winter, she would dress the wound with cobwebs. And she, whatever those remedies, whatever those do, they must have had some antibacterial properties because they, they saved the patient. Absolutely. We have actually heard of both of these uh, remedies before. So they are known remedies. I'm not sure... Um, whether cobwebs are actually a good idea, but certainly it has been used. And the plantain has also been used um, against, for example, poison ivy. So uh, people will squeeze the, the, the leaves and get some juice and put it on an itchy spot, and apparently it helps against the itching. So thanks for that, Connie. And I have an email from Lucy. Lucy says, I have used milk of magnesia the laxative for rosacea, uh, but found that a nightly wipe with Listerine is easier and just as effective. I use dandruff shampoo in the shower and also use it under my arms when there's a, you know, it's hot and I'm having a rash. So her rosacea, which is a, a kind of mite infestation of the skin that causes redness, seems to work with a variety of home remedies, including milk of magnesia and Listerine and dandruff shampoo, especially which one is it? The zinc pyrothione, uh, head and Sels- shoulders. Or Selsun Blue. Oh, Selsun Blue. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's he- Selsun Blue has the zinc pyrothione that has the anti-fungal mm-hmm. and maybe anti Might, might be mite. some anti-microbial and yes. potentially a little bit of anti-mite. Uh, we have heard that from other people, and it it does seem to be an interesting remedy. Joe, we've got an email from Kate who says, For poison ivy, we make a tea of jewel weed and water and strain it and keep it in the fridge so that we can apply it with cotton balls over a poison ivy rash. And uh, if you have an upset stomach, she says, take a nibble of spicy kimchi. You know, that sounds counterintuitive. It does, but, it's, but not I'll the bet fir- it works. it's not the first time we've heard people using something a little on the spicy side. And moreover, kimchi, of course, has those probiotic uh, microbes in it. Michelle in Wilmington, North Carolina, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hello, good morning. Hello, Michelle. Um, So I'm curious as to uh, when I was a child, if I had an upset stomach, um, they would grate a small apple, let it turn brown, and once the apple was nice and brown, um, we were encouraged to eat it, and somehow this cured any tummy ailments that we had. And I'm curious as to what properties a brown apple would have in fixing any sort of stomachache. You you. know, Michelle, we're curious about that as well. And I'm curious about something else. I'm wondering, where were you as a small child while they were giving you this remedy? This was in Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh Uh-huh. Well, 
we heard earlier uh, from the nurse practitioner who said that apple applesauce is part of an anti-diarrheal treatment that doctors and nurse practitioners have used. So perhaps the compounds in apple are helpful against diarrhea. I do not know. But thank you for the call. You know, I think she stumped the chumps today. I don't think we have a good answer. We do not know. 888-472-3366 is the number to call if you would like to join the conversation. Email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Again, what is the number to call? 888-472-3366. We go to Beverly in Carborough, North Carolina. Hi, I haven't heard anyone mention my mother's favorite remedy, which I have used for years, and that's baking soda paste for an insect bite. Take a spoon of baking soda, a couple of drops of water, make a paste, and put it on an insect bite. It works all the time. Well, we appreciate hearing that remedy. We have talked about that before, but not today. So thank you so much for bringing it back up. It's a good one. And, of course, we mentioned Adolph's Meat Tenderizer. It contains papain, P-A-P-A-I-N, the enzyme from the papaya plant, from the papaya fruit. And uh, people will often apply that to a bee sting on the assumption that it is sort of digesting the venoms. Right. And whether or not it's actually working that way or through some other way, we're not quite exactly certain. Right, now, Ter- Terry, I have an email from Kate and Kate says, I suffered for six months with diarrhea that I initially thought was from food poisoning. None of the standard tests showed any known cause. I learned about coconut macaroons as a possible treatment. To avoid the sugar, I started buying shredded coconut in bulk from my local market. I mixed two tablespoons into half a cup of plain yogurt. I let it stand a while to soften up the coconut, then ate it with cinnamon and strawberries or bananas on top. For those who want to avoid dairy, unsweetened applesauce works instead of yogurt. It was not an instant cure, but over time, it seems to have worked, and the diarrhea has gone away. And coconut does appear to be a very effective remedy against diarrhea. So um, that's that's helpful. That's helpful to know. Joe, we have gotten a couple of people who have emailed today. Bill did, and Neil has emailed to say that if you have hiccups, you need to drink water upside down. And I think what the upside down part is about drinking from the opposite side of the glass. So you sort of have to bend over in order to get to the far side of the glass to drink your water. And that is actually a common hiccup remedy. Well, I, I remember doing a hiccup remedy on Good Morning America with Joan London standing behind me holding my ear flaps. Yes, well, while you I drank, drank water. water. And so it's sort of a variation on that, and it worked. Of course, I didn't have hiccups, but it was a demonstration. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, uh, do we have one last call or are we almost out of time? Terry? I think we're getting very close to out of time. Okay, then I'm going to say that's all the time we have today. Thank you for listening to our first live show in almost two and a half years. And thank you for calling in your home remedies and your stories. We, we want to thank our guest today, too. Dr. Simone Pika of the University of Osnabrück in Germany. She described chimps in the Ozuga Chimpanzee Project treating wounds with mashed-up insects. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered. And we'd like to acknowledge our WUNC intern, Ayasi Chinflu. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,297. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. If you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. If you want to learn about drug alerts, this is an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news. And we throw a few home remedies in now and again, well, too. we would love to get your home remedies. If you didn't hear your favorite home remedy mentioned today on the People's Pharmacy, we're going to suggest you can email us anytime after the show, next week, whenever you think of one, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. We'd love to hear about, you know, the things that have been passed down through your family through the generations. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.